You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, uh, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. The spiritual milk referred to here, clearly, when you put other texts beside this one, is the Word of God. Clearly. Like newborn babies, crave the Word of God, pure spiritual milk. And there's a real good reason for that, and it's in the text, but let me just spell it out for you. Growth is impossible without it. Many of us probably don't remember what our appetites were like as newborns. However, all it takes is a small amount of time with an infant before we're reminded how demanding and adamant that hunger can be. Are you ready for a possibly convicting question? How does our hunger for God's Word compare to that of a newborn's hunger for milk? In today's message, Pastor Danny discusses the importance of God's Word in your life. In his study, you'll learn that without it, you simply can't grow in your walk. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Word of God. We've taken a break from our study through the New Testament. A few weeks ago, we finished 1 Peter. We will go back and pick it up at 2 Peter. But for some time, I felt led to do a series on basics of the Christian life, Christian basics. And we've started with two. The first I call new life, new relationships. And when you become a Christian, when I became a Christian at age 19, one of the things I needed, and uh, thank the Lord he provided, was good, solid Christian relationships. Not that I didn't care about my friends from before I became a Christian. It's just that now I'm part of the family of God. And uh, we use the springboard verse there, bad company corrupts good character. The second, we did a couple of weeks ago on tithing. Tithe just means 10%. And if you were here and you were listening, I think, I think you will agree with me that the scripture, I believe, is very clear that the first fruits equal the tithe. And we are to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all our increase. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Today, I want to talk to you about another very clear basic. And this one is obvious, especially when you use this verse as a springboard. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, uh, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. The spiritual milk referred to here, clearly, when you put other texts beside this one, is the Word of God. Clearly. Like newborn babies, crave the Word of God. Pure spiritual milk. And there's a real good reason for that, and it's in the text, but let me just spell it out for you. Growth is impossible without it. You'll never grow. I'll never grow as a Christian 
up in my salvation. Maybe truly saved, but stay a babe. Stay immature. Never grow up without the word of God. Now, I want to talk a minute about the fact that it is the word of God. And as the word of God, it's more important than physical food for real life. Jesus said that. Deuteronomy tells us in chapter 8, verse 3, but Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's more important, Jesus says, and Deuteronomy says, than even physical food. If you want to have real life, you'll only get real life through the word of God. It is the word of God. Of God. I, I want to take a minute and, and let's talk about that because unless we really believe it's the Word of God, why would we make it the top priority? It is the Word of God. How do I know? Before I go through some things, I've never heard God speak to me audibly. Now, I've met some people that say they have. Some of them I question. They're just a little odd. I think they're hearing a lot of voices. But I'm not saying God hasn't spoken to some people audibly. Obviously, God hit, there's record in the Bible of God speaking audibly. And certainly one day, I'll hear him speak audibly. But in my Christian life, so far, I've never heard an audible voice. Now, I've asked God to speak audibly. I'm like the guy, the book I read, by Love Does, by Bob Goff. He, he says, I'm asked God just for a syllable. Just give me a syllable. But I've never heard God speak to me audibly. The primary way that God speaks to me is through his word. This is a unique book. I hope you can appreciate how unique this book is. There's no other book in the world like this book. 66 books written over a period of some 1,500 years by 40 authors, 40 human authors. And yet this book claims that even though uh, God used human men to write down, it says that they were used by heaven and that this book is God breathe. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God breathed. Let me read you from 2 Peter. I got a few more things on the PowerPoint, but let me just read you this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, what it says there specifically that it's no, of no private interpretation, that helps me to know that I've got the right book because this is not the only religious book that claims to be the Word of God. Are you with me? But let's just take just a couple of examples and how I know it's not the truth. Christian science. How do I know Christian science is not the truth? Because it's of a private interpretation. It began with one lady named Mary Baker Eddy. Okay, I got a book, 40 authors, 66 books over a period of 1,500 years. Scientology. How do I know Scientology is not the truth? L. Ron Hubbard. He's the guy. He's the guy that thought it up. How do I know Mormonism? Now, I'm not trying to slander anybody that's a part of these groups. We love those people. Okay, we love them. But there's only one truth. All right? There's only one truth. How do I know Mormonism is not the truth? You can't include Brigham Young, but the, the main guy that got the whole thing rolling, Joseph Smith, claims to have uh, seen the angel Moroni, and I personally believe he did see an angel, but he's a fallen angel. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 
And uh, through that appearance of the angel Moroni, Joseph Smith got the revelation of Mormonism, the new now Christianity, because the truth had been lost for years. Well, if God can allow the truth to be lost for years, well, that's the God I want to serve? Come on. Give me a break. Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, they serve a different Jesus. That's one main way I know that that's not the truth. Their Jesus had a beginning as a being, all right? He's the firstborn God with a little G from Jehovah, and that's certainly not what my Bible teaches, but there's more than that. I know also Jehovah's Witness is not the truth because Charles Taze Russell, one guy, he's a guy. Listen, no private interpretation. That's one of the ways I know this is the right one. <laughs> this is the truth. Look, one of the main ways I know this is, all, this is the truth, the prophecies in this book. No other book has prophecies like this one. The prophecies alone prove that this is the word of God. As early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God gives the gospel. I don't know if you realize it's there. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, God says, I'll put enmity or war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The Hebrew word for seed of the woman there is a singular Hebrew word, which Galatians 3.16 confirms. It's a singular word. It means a person, a seed coming from a woman. We know that woman to be the Virgin Mary. And it says there that the seed that would come from a woman would crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of the serpent. And in the process, the serpent would strike his heel. Another translation, a little more literal, is bruise his heel. You know what happened on a Roman cross? They put a little ledge right up underneath the heels. Without that ledge, uh, those people on that cross would die a, a quick death because they could not breathe. That's why when Pilate ordered the soldiers to come break the legs of Jesus and the two others, and they came and they broke the legs of the two thieves, but Jesus was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. They broke their legs so they could no longer push up to breathe. And as excruciating as it was, they still would do it. And your heel would be severely bruised. Genesis 3.15, God prophesied that. Listen, years before God, before this guy was ever even born, God prophesied in Isaiah 44.28, Isaiah 45.1, and Isaiah 45.13. These are all online. If you want to write fast, that's fine. But you can just go online and go, there they are. Three times there, God said Cyrus would be the ruler he would use to give the order for the Jews to be allowed to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Before Cyrus is ever conceived in his mother's womb, God prophesied it. But let me give you, well, I'll give you one more. Daniel 9, 25 to 27, God prophesied the timeline of the Christ uh, being cut off the cross. It's a fascinating prophecy, but I'm not going to get into those in detail because I want to give you just eight Eight of my favorite. Eight of my favorite because they all relate to Christ. First of all, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible predicted through Micah's pen, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. But not just any Bethlehem, because in that day, there was more than one Bethlehem in Israel. They want to make sure we got the right one. Bethlehem, Ephrata. And God prophesied years before that that's where the Christ would be born. Psalm 41.9, messianic prophecy about the Christ, that he would be betrayed by a friend. We know that friend's name. We have the record. One of his 12 apostles, Judas. 
prophesied before it ever took place. Zechariah chapter 11, this is one of the most fascinating to me. Uh, let me read you this section. If you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. I know you're quiet because you're excited. <laughs> Listen, when Judas went to betray Jesus, the Jewish leadership paid him 30 pieces of silver. Then filled with remorse, not repentance, after he had done this, he came, he brought the money back to the leadership there at the temple. And it says he threw the 30 pieces of silver into the temple, the house of the Lord. The Jewish leadership picked up those 30 pieces of silver and they said, we can't put this into the temple treasury because it's blood money. And so what they did is they used the 30 pieces of silver to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. Prophesied specifically in Zechariah chapter 11. I got the right book. Psalm chapter 22 verse 16. Before a Roman cross had ever been thought of, a messianic prophecy, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's the cross. Psalm 28, verse 18, here's what it says. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. As Jesus hung on the cross, here's what John chapter 29, verse 23 tells us. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. That means that's a more expensive garment. Let's not tear it, they said. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And so they cast lots. They gambled to who would get the most expensive piece of Jesus' clothing. Prophesied. Psalm 22, verse 18. Fascinating. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12 says he was numbered with the transgressors, but even though he was numbered with the transgressors, he would make intercession. And he's numbered with the transgressors. He, he was crucified between two thieves and accused of being a criminal. And he said, Father, forgive them. He made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 9. Oh, one of my favorites. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. How can you have both? Jesus would have died and then been buried in a common criminal's grave. That's what would have happened. But here's the record. Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb, his personal tomb, a rich man's tomb. Wow. Let me give you one more. Psalm 1610, another messianic psalm about the Christ, that his body would not see decay. That's why he was only in the grave for three days and three nights before his body, just before his body would begin to decay. And thank God, he rose from the dead, and he's alive never to die again. 
Praise the Lord. Listen to this. What are the chances that eight prophecies will be fulfilled in the life of one individual? It's called the law of compound probabilities. And it tells us that the chance is one in 10 to the 28th power. Let me put it on hillbilly level for you. That's where I come from, all right? In other words, if you covered the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and mark just one of those silver dollars with a red mark, and then tell a friend, walk through the entire state of Texas, through the Panhandle, down to the Gulf, through Dallas, Houston, Corpus Christi, north, south, east, to west, and at any time they want to, choose a silver dollar. The statistical probability that he will choose the one with the red mark is 1 in 10 to the 28th power. We got a lot more than this. You know, there's some 300 prophecies about Messiah. Some yet to be fulfilled. There are other books that claim divine inspiration, but none have the prophecies like this book. And every one, every one, many of them already fulfilled, already can be documented. Now, this is the word of God. It's more important than physical food. Let me give you some other things the Bible says of why this book and this word is so essential. It's essential to sanctification. John 17, 17, Jesus' prayer before the cross. Father, sanctify them, those who would believe in me. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To be sanctified means to be set apart for heavenly purposes. The only way I'm going to be kept set apart is through the word. Essential. Every one of these points can be a message in themselves, but I just want you to get them, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of switch gears in just a minute. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. Hebrews chapter 4. No other book like this book. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then this verse next says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom to whom we must give an account. So it's talking about uncovered here in the heart and in my attitude. Now, add to that Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, that the heart is deceitfully wicked and beyond cure. Are you aware? Are you aware? You can't rightly judge your own heart. And your own attitudes. I can't rightly judge my own heart and my own attitudes. I can think I'm okay, but the Word of God brings to light things that I don't know. The Word of God will bring to light pride that I never saw. The Word of God will bring to light things in my life that I don't even, I'm not even aware of. I didn't even know it was sin. I was blind to. And then the light of the Word shines. It gives guidance in life, short and long term. I love Psalm 119. Longest psalm, it's all about the word. Read it sometime. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A lamp unto my feet, that's short-term direction. A light unto my path, that's long-term direction. I know where I'm headed long-term. And through the word of God, I can make wise decisions on a daily basis. Boy, there's a bunch here. It equips us for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, 
rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I couldn't be a, a, a godly pastor. I couldn't be a successful pastor from heaven's estimation without the word of God. Get this one. It's key ingredient. Absolutely key ingredient for defense during times of temptation. Ephesians six seventeen in the list there of the pieces of armor that God provides for every Christian, available to every Christian, to have victory over the enemy and the spiritual forces of darkness. And the one mentioned at the end of verse 17, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. And there's more than one type of sword. There were two main types of Roman swords. And the word here in the Greek is machera. The Roman sword, that's not the long sword, it's the short sword. It's a double-edged short sword. And it's a short sword because its purpose is for hand-to-hand combat. You with me? Hand-to-hand combat. Jesus used that sword in the temptation by the devil in the wilderness. And every time, the three that we have listed, because I think the devil tempted him over a period of 40 days, so there's more than just those three temptations, but God lists those three because every temptation comes under one of those headings, because he tempted them in regard to his pride, the pride of life. He tempted him in regard to the lust of the flesh, tell these stones to be made bread because he hasn't eaten in 40 days. Pride of life, lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes showed him all of the kingdoms of the world, said, I'll give these to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And here's what I like to say. Because every time that Satan, was, uh, Satan tempted Jesus, what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. It is written. He used the word of God to defend against the temptation of the enemy. And here's what I, I, I said to myself years ago, and I love this phrase. It's one of the original that God gave me for me. I'll share it with you. The more sword I got in my sheath the more weapon I have in my hand. The more of the word I've got in my life, the more in daily life and temptation I can defend against the temptation of the enemy. The more sword I have in my sheath, the more weapon I have in my hand. Let me tell you this. The word of God is a great encouragement in times of suffering. And there's tons of scriptures I could have used here. Psalm 119 again says, My hope and my suffering is this. I take delight in the promise of your word. The promise of your word. Because the suffering will not last forever. Romans 8.18. I consider our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I hope you understand. I need it every day. So do you. Luke 11.3. It's really, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's the Lord's pattern of prayer for us, really. Because there's something in the Lord's Prayer that the Lord never had to pray. Forgive us our transgressions. The Lord never had to pray that. But it says there in that pattern of prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, The manna in the wilderness, which is a picture and a type of not only Jesus, but the Word of God, because Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1. And the word was made flesh. And the manna given in the wilderness is a type of the word and, of course, a type of Christ. And you only were going to get enough manna for one day. Some people tried to get enough for more than one day, and maggots came in and spoiled what they tried to get for more than one day. And it's very clear. I I need daily bread. 
I need the word every day. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges as we study Christian basics together. You can hear more teachings like this or more from Pastor Danny by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. That way you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest teachings and videos. If you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you in person. We invite you to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. If you're unable to visit us in person, we also live stream our services. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series, Christian Basics, our prayer is that you're reminded that the fundamental thing you need to know is that Jesus loves you deeply. In a world full of unrest, He is rest. In days filled with hurry, He is still. In years full of uncertainty and despair, He is hope and never changes. The Bible is a great source to remember these truths, and we encourage you to read it daily. It will help guide you to truth and lead you in a way that is everlasting. That's all the time we have for today. Tune in next time to hear more from Pastor Danny right here on The Living Word.